You want to see the future of the aluminum industry? If you don't have a mentor, you're going to take 10 times longer to figure something out. You have to listen to the customer. Uh, what are their needs? What are their problems? Pay attention. Look around. What is your voltage? Podemos decir que somos una de las, de las empresas líderes. Another episode, and we have two amazing guests. is uh, Eric and Chris. And Eric, Chris, thank you so much for being here with us. And the reason that we are doing this episode is because you have you have something incredible that I want to let the people outside to understand, and it's related to energy, alternative energies that we are seeing right now into the industry, more related to the hydrogen, right? So I want you guys to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for being here. So go ahead. Chris, you want to introduce yourself, and then I'll go and talk a little bit more about Gen Hydro? Sure. So my name is Chris Kager. Um, I've known Eric and been involved with Gen Hydro for about the last two and a half years. Uh, I'm a physician by training, a surgeon, but um, I also have an interest in venture capital and specifically a, a longstanding interest in sort of alternative and renewable energy. So as it turned out, uh, I, we live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and a mutual connection introduced us. And when Eric was starting to um, form Gen Hydro and really take his work and some of the technology he had been developing over quite a bit of time, I was sort of immediately interested. And from my experiences in other parts of venture capital, uh, I was able to come on and sort of help him get things started uh, with with regards mm. to incorporating and um, getting some initial funding going. So I've been involved with that and also doing some client outreach and uh, strategy type work for him for the last two plus years. Oh, cool. So from the healthy side to the alternative energies, that is, is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm is sure it could be its own podcast, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. Um, <laughs> I think again, the connection was was the venture capital part. So I, I, I was interested and has been involved in angel investing. And uh, I'm a partner in a venture capital fund uh, based in California, but it's focused more on medical technology. Uh, so I kind of took some of the knowledge that I had acquired. I actually also got my MBA as well. So from a business standpoint, I was just sort of a sounding board for Eric to kind of bounce ideas off of as he started to grow and, and get the company sort of up and running and, and really you know, running quite fast. So I'm just sort of a, an extra set of eyes and ears and pair of hands when needed. I even nice. tighten bolts sometimes. <laughs> and, and is the first time that you are in, get, getting involved in this type of, let's say, industries? Or because I, I can understand that you've been in this, let's say, angels in investors for a quite long time, but is the first time that you are getting involved into this industry specifically? So you're talking about energy? Yep. In the energy industry, yeah. I've I've had other involvement in multiple different sectors. Again, mainly healthcare, uh, mm -hmm. but also some uh, CPG type projects as well. Uh, but certainly this is the first time I've been involved uh, in an energy focused company. Got it. Thank you. And Eric, your journey is a quite fantastic one, right? You look very young, but also I can see that you came from marketing and strategy development and then boom, decarbonization. How? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's that's another million dollar questions here. We're kind, we're kind of got a unique set of people on this on the team, um, all pretty dynamic, I'd say. 
and I, I, I think that's what makes us pretty unique and, and has allowed us to be as successful as we have been to date. But, um, but yeah, so my, my background is uh, I was born and raised in New York City, um, found my way to rural Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it was really by accident almost, it's kind of serendipitous in a way. Um, but, uh, but as far as like my journey professionally, um, professionally, I, my, my experience really lies in the business sector. Um, there was an early focus in technology um, where I hadn't, I, I was, I had a company called Simply Techs uh, back in the day where I provided IT, biz, IT consulting, then moved into the business uh, IT sector, worked for Ernst & Young and Times Square, so one of the big four financial firms, um, where very quickly was promoted to working and consulting with the global executives, helping them implement their, their new uh, global initiatives from a technological perspective. And so I've always had a bit of a technical leaning. Um, but then somewhat of a mind for strategy. Um, after that, I went to Wharton for an executive education course because I wanted to continue down that path of um, developing myself from a business perspective. And so I, um, that course was focused on strategic thinking for competitive advantage. And so we studied business history, understood the pitfalls and where businesses failed. Um, and, and then that, and then do also learning how to do market analysis. So we can continue to, um, so that we can go back to our respective firms, let's say, and, and help them remain, you know, keep a competitive advantage or chart, chart a new path. Um, so in a lot of ways that prepared me for what, what I'm doing here at Gen Hydro. Um, but before that was 2015, um, before I even, even moved to Lancaster, moved to Lancaster in 2016. Uh, I got, got offered a job um, as uh, to become well, a straight path seat to, to be a CEO of a company here in Lancaster. And that's kind of what initially set its roots into me. Day. Um, there was family here as well. And that's that's what got me in the area. And then this, this job opportunity, um, which was like, it would have been a new level of experience for me was, okay. was pretty interesting. It was a turnaround company. Um, so the, the, uh, company was failing. It was a uh, negative, uh, 11% uh, when I took it over. And that's why they were, that's why they stakeholders did ask me if I could help turn a company around. And I've never turned a company around before, but turned it around. We got it to positive 7% and we were able to sell it for, um, and cover all the liabilities for stakeholders, et cetera. But all, all, all that to say, right. So that's my professional experience, but then taking it, say, rewinding a little bit in parallel. So as I was getting all that professional experience, going back to 2010, I was also tinkering with, um, hydrogen production technologies. So in 2010 was when I first, uh, had some interest in hydrogen and that was really from a mobility perspective. So I had a 70, 1975 Datsun 280Z. So it was an old car. Um, it's actually originally a Nissan right. that was, uh, yeah, if you remember, yeah, but during the, <laughs> during the war, they changed their name so that Americans would still buy. Um, so I had one of those and then I had a, 70, a 72 Mustang. So it started in the mobility and still, it's still mobility, so very much an interest of mine. Um, but I wanted, was looking at alternative fuels and came across hydrogen. And so I built an electrolyzer in 2012. It took me a couple of years to kind of get that in to catch up initially, I'd say from a chemistry and engineering perspective, um, but built an electrolyzer that and installed it into my car, um, had it producing 42, 45 liters a minute of hydrogen. And it was going through the air intake manifold. So it was like offsetting, enriching the air oxygen and offsetting the, the, mm. the gasoline. And, um, and so, but 
it still didn't make too much sense to me from an energy efficiency perspective um, because it took a fossil fuel to create electricity through an alternator to then right. run an electrolyzer, <laughs> right? To then produce hydrogen to then combust it. And it was like, man, by doing the calculations, like we're less, by, especially with combusting, we're left with like five, 10% of the energy we started with here. Uh, this makes no sense. And so that's that's um, that's what made me start to look at alternative. I wanted to start at the same level of, of fossil fuels. Like, there has to be a, 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 a mechanism for starting with a, a chemical product that has energy potential, but that is carbon free that we can use to produce hydrogen. And that's what got me into um, uh, looking at reactant based methods for hydrogen production. Mm. Um, and so so I came across a DOE article that was actually studying a science that had been dis- that was discovered in 1960s, which was the process mm. of using aluminum. Yeah, a while back. Yeah, process of using aluminum to produce hydrogen. Um, and so I studied these two papers, and that was kind of the springboard to then where we are today. And um, and and there were all sorts of issues that they had cited, um, and that's where Gen Hydro's technology and competitive advantage comes in, where we've been able to overcome those issues um, economically and and in terms of scale, and then also be the first company to commercialize um, and take advantage of everything that this kind of chemistry has to offer. So that 2019, um, so working on the chemistry literally in my bedroom and in my kitchen. <laughs> and uh, and it was not I can safe. imagine. I, I can imagine. It. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Thinking back, I was like, my gosh, what was I doing? I was producing hydrogen in my kitchen, 45 liters a minute. You know, not a good idea. We don't, we have better practices now. We don't do that. Um, and 2019, though, we made some pretty good progress, uh, or I had made some pretty good progress in terms of the chemistry. And then um, 2020, G7 Summit came around. Um, right, all the global post-industrialized nations unanimously agreed to move away from fossil fuels and toward green energy, specifically hydrogen and market timing. Right, going back to leveraging my business experience and education there, market timing is so crucial to a new technology entering the stage. And so it would seem like the perfect time to try to formalize. Um, so we we then incorporated Gen Hydro in 2021, and then to try to commercialize the technology. And then we developed our Gen 1 system, Gen 2 system, and then, you know, larger systems. So that's just, uh, it's funny. That's a nutshell for me. Believe it or not, that was brief. Yeah. And on our next episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I can't Tony, help it, man. What's my brain go? Tony, and how did the decarbonization become something that you want to, you know, like fight against? Why? Because I understand the point of view of the energy. That is something that kept your attention and was interesting for you. And you start like doing some tests and boom. For some reason, you end there, right? But decarbonization, why? Why is it so important for you? That's a, that's a good question. And you know, I'll start off by saying, like, I'm an evil, greedy capitalist, just like everyone else, right? And so there's market opportunity. Um, and our system happens to be very favorable in terms of economics. We have high rates of return. We don't need government subsidy, right? And so so I, I'll say, like, that's the business side of me definitely got piqued my interest and in finding interesting ways to make it work economically. Um, but then, then at the same time, um, I would say that's where I started. Uh, but then at the same time, t- to some degree, at the same time, it was, th- there was a lot of interest in having a cleaner fuel. So when I was working on my vehicles, the, my 75 Datsun let out so much gas out of the tailpipe that I could fuel the car behind me as well. Right. So, <laughs> so it was just dirty. It was smelly. It was like, and so, and, and, and I know to some degree, that's, that's the allure of like working with like old cars like right. that, but, but um, it still just seemed um, less efficient than it needed to be more dirty than it needed to be. And, um, and then I started to kind of pull on that thread a little bit more and started to understand the importance of decarbonizing. And, right. um, 
and 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 really started to see and it, it was like it was it was this uh oh my gosh i'm forgetting but it was this um documentary on netflix that covered just the correlation between the post-industrial uh, the, the industrial revolution and mm -hmm. co2 emitted and then the temperature of the earth right and you can just see how there was historically over thousands of years there were like cycles but then all of a sudden we industrialized and it spikes up like x like astronomically like orders of magnitude more than it ever has been. And, and so I just really started to see the correlation and then became important. Um, I also wanted to leave behind a legacy. Um, and so, you know, it was, I've done, I've done decently well. And, and for, for let's say my age, um, up until date, I, I've had some good experiences, but I remember, I remember in 2016, I said to myself, I wanted to commit myself to something that would, I, I didn't want to just be a consumer anymore. Right. I didn't want to right. just make money and take it in. I wanted to leave behind something. And so I remember saying, committing myself to this cause and saying, I may never see it in my lifetime, but at least I'll advance it. And so honestly, that's I, great. I that's like very I, novel, right? Yeah. Well, it was like a, it was like a personal development journey. I'd say, um, it kind of just right. also led itself to that kind of thing. Um, but uh, I think we've gotten very lucky, too, that we've even gotten this far in such a short period of time. I did not expect this to happen. Right. Uh, that is, is the same. It's the same to me. I mean, with me, it was something similar. I just came into the industry by accident. I'm in the re aluminum recycling industry. We produce different type of solutions for the secondaries. And for me, it was very impressive when I understood the impact that the primary aluminum has in the in the planet that you know that for yeah. every ton yeah. that you are creating out of primary aluminum you will create at least 16 tons of <laughs> co2 that's right that's crazy from the electricity and the carbon anode like yeah <laughs> exactly and if you compare with uh the recycling process it's totally different now the problem is we 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 need more aluminum that will come out of their primary uh processes in order to reach the levels that we want to reach right that is like Man. maybe in in 2032 we want to see uh the 90 percent of the aluminum that we will see in the market will be recyclable aluminum that's what we want but we need a lot of aluminum from the primary now saying that recycling industry or the aluminum industry create a lot of waste products and that is that that I think is your main focus, like to transform the waste products into renewable energy. How? Yeah, it's a good question. If if you if you if you may if you don't mind, I'll just back up for a second as to why. Um, sure. And we we were touching on this a little bit before before we started the call. Um, but but effectively, there's a lot of aluminum that does get landfilled every year, and 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 so Gen Hydro sees that as um, as as literally a a. a landfill <laughs> full of potential energy so according to epa 2.6 million tons a year of aluminum gets landfill and um and so for when, when i when i ran it through ran through the calculations as to running how much energy gen hydro could extract it ends up being over nine thousand gigawatt hours of energy per year and over three hundred thousand tons of hydrogen that's a significant amount of energy that is is that's just like it's like us throwing away lithium ion batteries, you know, right. without even using them. And, and so it's like, why, why, like that's energy there. And, um, and so what Gen Hydro wants to do is at least tap into that, right? So given the state of the scrap of secondary aluminum markets, mm -hmm. which they're not recycling all of that, I think for some economic economic hurdles like around the cost of some of the recycling and it sounds like you have some interesting ideas too on how to solve that from a vertical integration perspective um which is great you know ideally we do recycle it all right and if and when that happens gen hydro has 
we'll start to move into taking the alumina right after we're done with the aluminum in our system and recycling that as well. Um, but but that's kind of like a little bit of the background on supply, the market opportunity, energy that is sitting there, right? As we're right. pushing for a transition, energy that is just sitting there that we can use now is like a sliding scale until we do start to recycle more and then we right. can we can shift. Um so so as far as um as far as focusing on scrap, that's why. That's that's what's considered post-consumed material mm -hmm. uh it's considered that the uh the carbon intensity of the production of that has been allocated already to a specific application so maybe it was like sitting it was like on your car for 30 years or or 10 or 15 whatever it might be um it was in your radiator and then now we're recovering um 70 we can recover 71.3 percent of the energy back out of it that it took to smelt it to make it originally. And then as far as aluminum potential goes, energy density potential, we, we can recover over 90%. So um, it's just not the worst use, you know, until maybe the recycling markets pick up and mature a little bit more in the right. short term, you know, as, as like a stopgap. So hello again, we are here again. Uh, recycling markets pick up and mature a little bit more in the right. short term, you know, as, as like a stopgap. How the process works? Because it's very interesting to me. I mean, we, the technology, the technology that I am offering to the market is European technology because in Europe they have a different totally different regulations right related to environmental regulation landfills and everything so they are more into the creation of creative creation of solutions that will allow the industry to have like a circular economy inside the process right yeah. and, and that's my goal one of my goals is to and, and it's the same as as you i want to 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 you know to to live like a legacy for my yeah. family for for the industry my 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 main goal is to change the aluminum industry into the united states and that's what i want is everything related to green aluminum low carbon footprint and the right technology to achieve the regulation that we, we will see more and more regulations coming, right? Now, saying that, how the process works, because I understand that you will create out of the, the, the aluminum scrap, you will create hydrogen, but also alumina that can be used uh, on the primary sector, right? So more or less, that's what I understand. But I want to understand a little bit better how it works. If you sure. can talk about it, right? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Um, so so the, there's a process. Um, I guess let's start off with just kind of the basics. So you look at the periodic table, right? So from a chemistry perspective, there's a series of metals that are in a reactive series, like these are called reactive series metals. Lithium is one of them, right, for example. And so let's focus on that because this is, that's exactly how our process works as well. So lithium ion battery undergoes an oxidation and reduction process. And so lithium right. ions, like, right, there's, and there's like a membrane separation, but as they're moving, as they're getting charged and discharged, it's oxidizing and deoxidizing, oxidizing right. and deoxidizing. When that happens, electrons, it, movement is created. Mm -hmm. There's our electricity, right? And so um, we're doing the same thing. I love this. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's um, beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, it's because when I was back, I'm from Colombia. When I yeah. was when I was back in Colombia, we create this company, um, Redox company, because of uh, yeah. and we create something that we call um, supercharge was a product that uh, should be used in car batteries in order to increase the useful life. Because when you are doing this process and moving electrons, but also you are losing some material into the process. So what yeah. we did is take all these oxides and rebuild the, the plates 
the lead plates into the batteries. Mm, so for me, it's just amazing that you are talking about this. So sorry for interrupting wow. you. Just go ahead. No, <laughs> no, that's fine. So you might understand this better than most people. Like that's why I was trying to start with some of the fundamentals. Actually, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow, interesting. So, so we're yeah, it's great. We're we're doing the same thing with aluminum. Um, we're undergoing an oxidation and reduction process. Right. So we have aluminum material that comes in. As you know, aluminum does have like an like a little bit of an oxide layer on it. Right. We break through that. Um, and that's that's uh, uh so we have multiple steps. Let's say that have take place inside the reaction inside the reactor. We break through mm -hmm. that, and then we introduce um h2o so water um now our reactor is a high temperature high pressure um so we it's actually a steam that it gets interacted with it um the the h2o now since the aluminum is um, um a reactive metal and we've mm -hmm. broken through that oxide layer that aluminum reacts with the oxygen in the h2o and it actually will break the oxygen off of the h2o produce so we're reducing the h2o and we're oxidizing the alumina aluminum um we're now we're freeing and liberating the hydrogen mm -hmm. capturing that um what's great about that process though is you know how some there are some chemical processes that take heat to get started and some that produce heat it's called right. endother endothermic and exothermic this process is exothermic so it produces heat as a result of the, the chemical reaction right so we actually have three commodities that come out of the system so we have hydrogen that is produced initially during that chemical process heat is generated so we're collecting right. thermal energy as well and then going to heat exchanger to then run a steam turbine to produce primary baseload electrical power. And then we have aluminum, aluminum oxide. And that aluminum oxide is actually considered an, an advanced nanoceramic material because it's high purity and it's very small, very small by the time the reaction is complete. So we get three commodities in a process that are all come from waste material. Two of them are energy. One of them is an industrial material that has significant applications. Mm -hmm. um, and alumina, and you might be aware, uh, I'm sure you're, you could probably speak to it better than me of the applications for alumina. Um, but there's primary that can use alumina, but then there's also other applications. There's insulated oh, yeah. materials, there's uh, water purification for potable drinking water, there's hydraulic cement, there's um, uh, the, the, our cell phones use sapphire glass, and that's produced with aluminum oxide. All the grinding wheels and sandpapers at like your local hardware store all have aluminum oxide in it. And so it's a huge huge market for alumina and so what we're doing is through a completely carbon-free process taking a scrap material and that would otherwise go to a landfill like and in, in, if it doesn't get recycled and upcycling it into clean renewable energy and clean green aluminum oxide for the industrial space oh that's amazing i mean it's 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 a sweet process it's, it's, it's very beautiful it's sweet what, what is <clears throat> what is the amount of energy that you need to put into your process in order to create these reactions i mean it's, it's not that huge the amount of energy that you need to have like an input in order to do the oxidation and reduction and everything or is because at the end and also it is possible to recirculate the energy that you are creating into the process itself to use it yeah 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 so good good questions um there's as as i'm sure you know with it, with every single power plant there's a, something called a parasitic load yep. and parasitic load is just the power you need to run your equipment like to run your plcs the computers the control valves etc um that's of course very minimal very minimal um doesn't take too much um the amount now as far as the energy it takes to facilitate the process we only need an external energy input for the first time for the first time we turn on the react mm -hmm. so the for the we call it a power plant to terms it's called a ramp up so the right. first time we turn on the system 
We have to prime it. We need external energy to get the reactor up to the right condition. After that, the heat energy produced from the, after that, we switch over to the aluminum for our energy. So the heat energy produced keeps the reactor at the right conditions. We subtract out the heat it takes to keep the reactor at the right conditions. And then we net out thermodynamically. That's all the Mm -hmm. additional energy produced. And we, but we're always in the positive which is great. So it takes a, of the energy produced, it takes a, a small, like 10% roughly to keep the reactor at the right conditions and we extract 90% back out. So then over time, when you look at like carbon intensity of re- operating the system, it, it's, it's, it's more about a time thing, right? So first right. day, it's like, yeah, it takes, it's, it's, it, we had to turn it on. So it's, it's carbon, inten- like all the energy that was, this amount of energy was carbon intensive, came from the grid, came from wherever. Right. But then it's on for a year, and that becomes like a, num- a fraction of a percentage as far as the, so in other words, it nets a similar to solar panels, right? So solar panels requ- have carbon intensity in the fabrication process. But then after about five years of operation, I believe it is, they start to, um, even electric vehicles like this too, they start to be, be net positive. So in other words, right. they, they produce enough energy to call co- more than cover their carbon, initial carbon footprint, and then they're netting positive, right? And so our reactor is similar, except we can probably do that in like a couple hours, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. So to just net out our, uh, do, yeah, do, you don't need five trials. years. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. Because no, because our reactors produce a significant amount of energy. They have a high throughput and the energy it takes to initially get it up to operation. So I would say probably more like, like 24 hours. Because it's like a six-hour ramp right. up. But 24 me, hours to be safe. Yeah, Got it. Let me ask you something. Because for me, that I've been in this industry fighting to achieve the recycling goals, but also to put the recycling industry in a better position against, not against, but comparing to the primary aluminum manufacturers that, for example, in Canada, Quebec, we have the main industry related to... Um, primary aluminum. They are huge. We have Rio Tinto, we have Sotra and Maltec, and we have all these huge companies that they want to get right now involved into the recycling trends, right? Now, mm. saying that, what I'm, what I'm seeing is in the aluminum industry, more people want to go into the recycling processes instead of creating more aluminum out of the um, of the mineral, right? Out of the, the primary aluminum. Mm-hmm. But you need that aluminum that is taken away, uh, it is getting taken away right now to create your hydrogen, right? How do you see your company in the next five, 10 years when everyone wants to recycle more? So we're supposed to have less waste material out of this industry, but you need that material in order to run your, your equipment, right? So yeah. how do you see your company in the next few years related to that? That's a good question. Uh, we, we get asked that question all the time by um, by some of the more global venture firms. Um, and, and so... So we, we have a couple right now, I won't name names at this point, but we have a couple right now that are evaluating us. Um, and these are the, these are the big guys, right? The guys really moving the needle from a climate change perspective and investing billions. Um, and they asked us that question. They said, number one, from a supply perspective, um, as Gen Hydro grows, right? We're going to be consuming more and more and more and more. Yep. Um, and so there, even if nothing changes on a recycling side, we'll eventually hit a ceiling as far as growth goes. Right. Um, but then it is planned that with this whole ESG initiative now on a, on a, from a global perspective, that that supply should start to go down as well mm-hmm. because they're starting to recycle more. And so our part of our five-year plan is to 
is ideally is to stop sourcing scrap material and instead we'll take the aluminum that we have already um and when it converts to aluminum uh, aluminum oxide instead of selling that into the industrial space we'll we're actually planning on using renewable wind and solar in mm -hmm. areas where it makes the most geographical sense right so like the sahara desert for example has like right. 10 so 10 solar hours per day versus pennsylvania where we are has like four Right. So, so we'll do it where it makes the more sense. Stand up a smelting facility and recharge the aluminum, aluminum oxide. So we'll re-smelt it, right? Because primary producers, they take bauxite, they refine it to get alumina. Exactly. Right? So, so what we want to do is, is, and we want to do the same thing. We want to, we want to recharge it. So our idea is to eventually create a circular economy where we're recharging this material and it actually ends up being much better economically too. Like, you know, don't tell anybody, but right. it's much better. It's like, it's like less than half the cost of what we're paying for scrap now. It's pretty amazing. Um, and so, so our idea is to, is to recharge it and then redistribute. So it, uh, that really came from, um, us looking at why hydrogen has become such a big thing. Right. And hydrogen has become such a big thing. It's funny because you think of the renewable energy transition. It's like, well, why hydrogen? Why hydrogen? We know it burns cleanly, et cetera. But hydrogen really came on the scene because it was seen as um, a way to capture, store, and distribute intermittent renewable. Right. So wind and solar, it, hydrogen is seen as the way to capture that right. and then distribute it. Now, the difficulty, though, is like with distrib distribution is it's a very tricky molecule. You have to compress it to 10,000 psi. To, to have any meaningful like ma mass, right? It just takes up a lot of volume for right. like a small amount of mass to so have any meaningful amount of energy density that you can move and transport economically. You have to compress it or you have to liquefy it. And if you liquefy it, it's, it's six degrees away from absolute zero. You know, it's, it's, so it's pretty intense process, negative right. 420 to 23 degrees Fahrenheit. And so it, they, we've not been able to do it economically. And that's why the government had to come in and provide subsidy. Right. And so between the cost of electrolyzers and scaling up that technology, vertically integrating with wind and solar, and then, and then the compressing for for the virtual pipeline distribution, right? Which is like trucks. And so yep. what Gen Hydro feels like is, is a better approach is still hydrogen, but move hydrogen further down the value chain. So instead of using hydrogen to capture renewable energy, like wind and solar, mm -hmm. use right. aluminum. Now, aluminum is significantly more energy more energy dense significantly more so in one meter cubed so roughly a three by three space um one meter cubed like aluminum's density is pretty high right and yeah 2.2.7 tons per meter cube yep that represents as far as theoretical energy density goes and as much and even pretty close to what gen hydro can extract um over 23 megawatts of energy in a three by three space, 23 megawatts. You put that on a truckload, just 20 tons on a truck, that's 173 megawatts that you can move in a truck and you right. don't need to compress it to 10,000 PSI. You don't need to liquefy it to six degrees away from absolute zero. And, and, and it's grid level energy, it's stable, grid level energy storage. You can just be a block that just sits there and you can use it when you need it, right? And so it's a much, I we think, and from a logical, technical, and economical perspective, right? right? And so it's, we try to be as data-driven as possible that, that we need a better medium for capturing and distributing renewable energy. And don't think hydrogen is that answer. Think hydrogen makes sense further down the value chain, right? So once you then, you can move, capture, move, distribute a solid material using existing logistical infrastructure, right? We don't need these new trailers and trucks. Like right now right. they have, you know, carbon fiber, right? So they have carbon fiber tube trailers <laughs> on like 18 wheelers. Right. And that's, it's very expensive. And then you need the compression systems. It's just very expensive. And so that's what it's 
created economic hurdles. If you use aluminum, it removes all those issues. It jumps all those issues and, all, and it's scalable. Um, and so that's Genhydro's thought is to, is to hydrogen is further down the line. Let's use, have a better medium in the short term. And so spinning off though, a little rabbit hole down from your original question with using, um, uh, moving away from scrap ultimately and recharging the aluminum right. oxide back into aluminum. Great. And let me ask you something because I am, if you go and see the news, the trends in the industry, everyone is talking about um, sustainability and alternative uh, alternative energies, but mostly solar panels. I, I am I'm not seeing too many people talking about hydrogen, even though we have a lot of companies out there working on this, even us, we are planning to have in the next two years, a hydrogen melting plant, like a test plant in Italy, in order to to, uh, to understand how it works, how we can work with these uh, combustion systems, new ones using hydrogen in order to melt down aluminum and recycling the aluminum and clean up the scrap and everything. But I, I think no, not too many people is talking about it. Why? What do you think is that? So, so like, just to understand your question a little bit more, like not, not too many people are talking about about hydrogen the hydrogen the hydrogen the hydrogen as an energy option more than because more people is talking about solar panels evs and wind energy but it's not that strong that we are seeing i mean not not, not everyone is aware about the power of hydrogen but it's more aware about the solar panels and everything why do you think is that yeah well well and and, and chris feel free to jump in here whenever you'd like as well um i could i could talk all day <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think I think he's having some issues with the connection. Yeah, it seems to be a little choppy yeah. and wonky. Yeah. All right. All right. I guess I'll keep yeah. talking. So, um, so <laughs> I, I, I think that's the case because, um, Chris, if you wouldn't mind muting. Thanks. Um, I think it's the case because even hydrogen, right? Like even though hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, I'm sure every everyone has heard that a thousand times by now. It, uh, it's still, it's, it's still is never found rarely found alone it always binds to something right. right and so even like us like we produce hydrogen and when if you if you were to release it into the atmosphere it'll bind with oxygen and for the most right. part create water on the way up right um and then whatever doesn't bind will actually escape into the into space it's so right. light it'll actually escape into space so it's not like it's found it's like it's not like it's it's all around us but it's not easily accessible so that, i think that's why people keep talking about like true renewable energy is solar mm -hmm. and wind, right? That's en and it's really energy from the sun ultimately, but it's yeah. solar and wind. It's solar and wind, and you need an energy source to capture or to to get that inaccessible hydrogen. So you need energy to get that inaccessible hydrogen. And so people are talking about um, they are talking about hydrogen a lot, but it still always starts with wind and solar, right? right? And so you need that initial energy input to capture and break the hydrogen, right? Right. And, and so like even, it's not, it's not electrolyzers, right? They need electricity to, to, to get that inaccessible hydrogen because it's bonded to something else. Even right. in our process, like we're using potential energy in aluminum that came from the smelting process, which used electricity that came from a fossil fuel. Right. And mm -hmm. so there still has to be, and that fossil fuel all still came from that the sun, like, you know, back in the day, like, yeah. so it's all yeah. energy yeah, that yeah, gets yeah, yeah, yeah. stored and captured and blah, blah, blah. And so I think that's why people are focusing on wind and solar pretty heavily, because that's like where the and the and the the actual energy input starts. Right. And then it's what do you do with it from there? And then you can use it 
you can transform, you have to store it, you have to move it, right? And so to do that, you need these other mediums. Um, and then there's different types of fuels that are more suited for different applications. Right. And so for thermal energy, right? Even for some combustion vehicles or uh, like you need gases or gases for industrial processes to like deoxidize, right? And, right. and so then it goes further, but, but that's further down the line. It does definitely start with true renewables, which is which is wind and solar. Yeah, I think hydrogen is very challenging in order to, as you just said, moving. Uh, everything is a little bit more complicated. So let me ask you the, the 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 last two questions because I don't want to take much time from your side. But how do you see the future of the hydrogen, and which industries do you think is going to be the industry that will take care more on this? type of, uh, let's say, opportunity? And what is your next step as a company? Uh, that's a, that's a, if I had a crystal ball, you know, I'll, I'll tell, I'll do my best. Um, I could tell you where I think it's going to, where the hydrogen markets I think are going to go. But, you know, the, like this third wave of hydrogen that's hitting now and actually sticking, I think because of government intervention, right? Um, it uh, it's just stimulated the private sector enough to keep it around. But like, right. I, I think that hydrogen is going to be around. What it To what degree? I don't know. Like, so for example, mobility sector, like there are hydrogen vehicles out there yep. and, and we can create ships like intermodal transportation ships and trains and everything that run on hydrogen. Um, but again, you get back to like that density issue by volume. And so people are looking into e-fuels. And so they might use hydrogen as an input to create ammonia as a fuel or methanol or something that is easier to move and easier to transport. And so hydrogen might just be an input for another kind of fuel that is more right. that it's more dense and easier to move. I don't know. Or we might find we might solve the issue of moving hydrogen, right? Um, but it'll be around one way or the other. So it'll either be like a primary, like it'll be an end use or it'll be like an input. Um, so that's, so that's, let's say in the mobility, as far as industrial chemical, hydrogen has been around for a long time. So in the industrial right. sector, um, like we just went to, uh, we have a new client coming on board that is a malib, let's see if I can say this properly, a molybdenum, molybdenum plant. They actually refine molybdenum and they use hydrogen to do that. They deoxidize, oxidize mm. molybdenum. And, um, and so there's a lot of industrial processes that use, from a chemical perspective, use the chemical properties of hydrogen. That's been around for a while. That's not going anywhere. That's an end use for hydrogen, right? So that's mature. Um, as far as energy storage goes, there are, that might change, but um, the data centers, data centers like Amazon's, Google's, Microsoft's of the world, they actually have huge compressed hydrogen storage right. Right. outside of their data centers for energy backup with massive fuel cells. And so they can't have their systems go down. And, and so the best thing for them to do is to convert hydrogen, run it through your fuel cell and produce electricity in case for any energy backup. And so there's how, something- how, that, how safe, how safe? is that that hydrogen storage that i mean is it safe enough or because yeah yeah i i was talking with a friend and we we were like moving back and forward between the the alternative energy that we are seeing right now but also nuclear energy nuclear energy we mm -hmm. know very well mm -hmm. is very clean mm -hmm. used to be very dangerous i think i think we 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 we, we can manage that energy very well but no one is going in that direction why and now Talking about this, is hydrogen something that you can store easily without too many concerns about the safetyness? Yeah, yeah. So, so the the um, United States government, specifically Department of Energy, uh, had actually done a study on the safety of, and this was for the mobility sector, right? Because they were trying to um, um, provide a pathway for hydrogen vehicles, but a, a lot of states were pushing back 
where they said we didn't want hydrogen, mm. they, they didn't want hydrogen vehicles driving through their tunnels specifically because they were worried about explosion. Right. Um, if there's a if there's a crash. And so the DOE did this massive study and they concluded that hydrogen is actually safer than gasoline. No way. It's safer than gasoline. You can go find it. It's not my words. Um, so it's safer than gasoline. So and I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you two things because I know in the interest of time as to why. Um, so hydrogen, let's say number one, the, com the composite storage tanks. There's actually a video on YouTube that Toyota that Toyota did um, where they took, because they have hydrogen cars, they took mm -hmm. one of their hydrogen storage tanks and they shot it with a rifle. Oh, and really? the, hyd the hydrogen just, it depressurized, it evacuated, and it goes up into the atmosphere 45 miles a minute. It's very, because it's so okay. light. And so it just immediately escaped. And it didn't didn't combust and it, didn't, it just immediately escaped. Now, if it did explode, it would just like, it would catch fire explode and then be done. Like it all gets consumed because it all turns into water vapor. It also hmm. doesn't let off. It also doesn't let off radiant heat. So like, you know how like that's important. Yeah. That's very important. You know, you sit around a, ga a, ga a campfire, right? And you can feel heat from far away. Gasoline, similar. That's radiant heat. Hydrogen. We do it all the time. We have a burner here. We burn and you burn and we're amazed. I can still to this day where you can get this close to the flame before you start feeling heat. So it doesn't radiate. Oh, wow. And so, so it burns and immediately it burns right away. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't burn slow. Um, like fossil fuels and it doesn't radiate heat where it start to make other things catch fire so that's why it's 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 actually significantly safer significantly safer um so that's my two cents on on that at least uh it, it definitely is a stable term on the nuclear uh, uh point i think there's still a stigma uh, for nuclear, um, I think people are still. I think you're right that there's like, right because of for obvious reasons. Um, I think I think the technology is much more advanced, so I think it is much safer than than the stigma is allowing for in people's yep. minds. Um, I think it is making a comeback. We've actually had some projects in 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 the European markets. Um, where we've went head to head with on-site nuclear micro nuclear systems, oh, and. Yeah. I think there's still like a like an intense cost component. There's still a lot of permitting around it that has still made it a bit prohibitive, right? So still a lot of yeah. safety and permitting. So I think there's high costs, high safe, uh, high safety and permitting issues around it still that has made it prohibitive. I think it will come back around though. I, I think it will make its way back into the mainstream for sure. It's definitely part of the solution. Um, I do think though that still um, uh, there's still the issue with what you do after you have the spent uranium, and there are companies yeah. working on that. Companies that saying, "Hey, we we have developing systems to still extract energy out of the spent uranium," and so I think there'll be some hurdles to overcome. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the next decade it, it really starts to make a significant comeback. Yeah, I think so too. I am hundred percent agree. Now, final question: I don't want, as I said, I don't want to take much time from your side. After you just give us your predictions or your your perspective, what is the next step for for Eric, but also for Gen Hydro? What we can expect? in the next years that's a good yeah yeah actually some exciting things <laughs> so uh, uh our, our 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 gh1 system which you can see on our website um mm -hmm. which is the largest system of its kind globally that we've been able to as far as we can tell as far as our series a investors can tell um which we're in the middle of now it, it seems like we have the most advanced version of this technology and the only one of its kind um, globally. And so, so we have it, we, we turned it on successfully several months ago. And now we are actually partnering with a couple of uh, publicly traded entities, publicly traded firms to put it to do demonstration site. And so we are actually going to put our, our money where our mouth is, let's say, and we're going to be powering our, in the, hopefully by the fall, powering ourselves, definitely before the end of the year though, powering ourselves. 
um, with our, our with aluminum, um, our own reactor system, and then powering, um, uh, providing power to a, the business complex that we're in. We're also looking at some mobility companies where we're going to be uh, selling the hydrogen to them to then be used in dispensing and mobility space. And then working with uh, some other entities as well from an aluminum oxide um, perspective that will be using the aluminum oxide. And so we have this demonstration site that is, is getting put into place before the end of the year. We have, uh, so that's the, the short term. The next after that is we have, we already have a larger system that is 70, 80% designed and engineered. Mm -hmm. And so we have the next model um, that is gonna be more appropriate for the industrial sector. Um, so it's gonna be four to five times the output of what we currently have. So that'll hopefully go into fabrication as our target to go into fabrication before the end of the year. And then breaking ground with our first project, um, first project of its kind, but also first project for Gen Hydro with some clients that we have um, um, secured in the European area and in the US in the middle of next year, middle of 2024. Hmm. So by middle of next year, you guys should start to see this technology being rolled out. And then over the next three years, becoming more and more ubiquitous. Nice. Well, congratulations. And Eric and Chris, thank you so much for being here. I know uh, you are making some time for us. I really appreciate it. It was very interesting. And I think we will, I'm sure I agree with you. We will see more hydrogen out there, more applications. And well, I'm excited to see what's coming. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we certainly appreciate the thoughtful question. And um, <laughs> and. And kind of helping us push the charge, you know, for just a greener, a greener, uh, more, oh, yeah. more efficient world. Definitely, definitely. So thank you so much for being here. This was uh, another episode of Dirty Scrap. And well, thank you so much.